1: Hello and welcome to an emergency episode of the Prep to Pro NBA Draft podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always I'm joined by my host Max Carlin. Max, how are you doing? I've been better, Ben, but uh, I'm alive and I don't have Corona yet, so that's yeah, good. we're okay, and we're gonna keep putting out content for the foreseeable future. And before we start, um, the Prep to Pro NBA Draft P- podcast is sponsored by Simply Safe with home security. There's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune, or there's the other way, Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award winning protection, two time winner of CNET Editors Choice <laughs> Award. So yeah, um, with all of the recent events, we figured an emergency podcast was in order. So Max, what what the hell is going on?
0: So as of I don't know about an hour ago, the NCAA tournament is canceled. Um, which uh, just from the perspective of a fan it sucks. It's the probably the most fun event in sports. Um, it's yeah, it's a it's a basketball fan's dream. It's just basketball all the time. Uh, and we just don't get it for a year. Uh, it really sucks. Uh, just from a human standpoint, I feel really bad, especially for like seniors who now aren't going to have that that last chance. Um, I don't know if, if you've seen any word about like some sort of emergency uh, uh, extension of eligibility, but I would imagine that's not going to happen. And, no, I doubt Yeah. And that's just really unfortunate for, for guys. Like, I mean, look at like this great Kansas team, like someone like Yudoka Azabuki does not get a chance to make a a title run. Um, And that, that really sucks, especially for guys who, who maybe don't have a future in, um, in professional basketball anywhere. Um, Yeah. It's just, the whole thing sucks a lot. It's obviously the right move. It's something that has to happen. Uh, I think the, the NBA showed how even, you know, banning fans is not, is not adequate because this is such a fragile situation where you have so much, so much contact between these guys that you're, you know, in the case of, of the NCAA tournament, they'd be putting uh, what, upwards of like 1500 kids at risk. It's just not, you know, it's not viable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really awful from a college basketball standpoint, from a human standpoint.
1: Yeah, like you said, it's absolutely the correct decision. I mean, obviously, this is horrible for fans, horrible for the players, horrible for everybody involved, really. But rather inconvenience um, and and put these this season at a pause than risk further spreading this virus that we don't really know the full extent of yet. So it's definitely the right decision, but it's super unfortunate. And just just in terms of the draft, we have no idea what's going to happen if the draft is going to get postponed, canceled. I mean, I can't. I don't think it will, but I mean, I wonder if they do like just like an empty draft where they just call in picks. I mean, cause that's a thing they can do. And like we've talked about before, I mean, in March Madness, there's always guys who end up popping off and get on mainstream radars. Like you look at Malachi Richardson, DJ Wilson, even like Deandre Hunter last year. So that's going to be a huge change too, not having that sample that is so important to a lot of, Mainstream draft concept producers, and even I'm sure plenty of scouts um, value this tournament super heavily. So that's going to be a huge change in just the drafts, the draft scene in general, that we really have no idea what the full extent of that is.
0: Yeah, from my perspective, for, from a scouting standpoint, I, I don't think this is a bad thing at all in terms of just like having a sample to evaluate guys with because. Like you mentioned, uh, I mean, we we're talking about this before we recorded. Someone like Malachi Richardson, did, I think he went, ended up going oh, sixteen.
1: No, I thought it, I thought it was like sixteen. I don't know.
0: Yeah, um, or maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. But but someone who's out of the league after a couple years, yeah, 22nd. Did That okay. That, that that's a guy who um who is you know wouldn't have had that rise without March Madness. I don't know that DeAndre Hunter would have gone fourth overall without being instrumental in, a, in Virginia's championship run, and. just generally i don't think the tournament is a good uh it's a good setting to evaluate guys in because it's so weird it's so out of the realm of normal basketball you have guys playing with no rest for several days you you're playing on neutral sites you're not you don't have time to scout it's just it's a very weird setting that i don't think is conducive to um like faithful uh, representation of of people's skills. So from purely an evaluation standpoint, I don't think this is a bad thing. I think it will actually probably improve the quality of of evaluations. What sucks, though, is is for people who are less insane than we are, uh, if you haven't been following the draft at all all year, and I think this is the case for a lot of people, that their introduction to a draft class will be watching the tournament. I mean, this stinks, like, especially with uh, the NCAA cracking down on the availability of games online, people are just going to, you know, in the mainstream have no idea who a lot of these guys are. And I mean, hopefully we can help with that, but (laughs) we don't, we don't exactly have, have large reach. Um, And it's just, I feel bad for fans who have a, a, you know, passing interest in the draft who are not as obsessed as we are because they're losing out on their one opportunity to really get to know these guys.
1: Yeah, it's super difficult, and I mean, I guess I, I've seen some people make the case, um, make this case for, like, things like the Combine, but I guess I like, kind of buy it here, like, it's just, like, seeing guys kind of thrive in, like, a less structured setting is worth something, like, guys who can, guys who can make the most out of, like, a, just a more chaotic environment and still play slow and prove that they can can play but just generally like it's too small of a sample what like five six games at the very maximum most guys will get one or two and like and teams and and mainstream guys based there and not even just mainstream draft analysts just like the 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 general basketball fan a lot of them like this is their analysis and like people care about that and people aren't going to get that so I'm not really sure what happens also I mean we're going to see probably a lot less underclassmen declare than normal because this is a big stage for guys to break out and put their put their name on the map even if just to test the waters I mean there's not room for a guy like Carson Edwards to blow up in the tournament and end up declaring and end up going relatively high I mean that's just not going to happen this year so there's gonna we're probably gonna see less underclassmen go it's gonna be an even like the quality of this draft is gonna decline even further because it's bad at the top depth is a strength but we're probably going to lose some of the depth too. So it's just all around a, a bad situation there.
0: Yeah. I, I It could make 2021, solve the the one problem that we have in 2021 is a lack of depth. It could, it could turn that draft into something even stronger, but yeah, I mean, this, this doesn't look good for whenever an NBA draft does end up happening in 2020. Cause that's the other thing we don't know. We have no clue what, what the timeline is on this, how the pre-draft process is going to work, because I would imagine that you're not going to want to have guys traveling all over the country, going in and out of airports and stuff. Um, so I, I don't know how that's, that's the thing that that's so annoying about all of this is that we just don't know anything. We don't know how, how this, um this virus is going to progress, how the, you know the spread will continue to grow and and we just don't know the timeline you know nba play is not resuming for at least 30 days and i'd imagine it's a lot more than that yeah, um and we don't we don't even know how nba play will resume we don't know if there'll be a regular season a truncated regular season nothing you know we've seen, i don't playoff. think maybe i don't know yeah i mean we i don't think anyone really expected that the NCAA tournament you know even a few days ago would be outright canceled and, and now it's, it's, you know, it's completely gone. So who knows what will happen with the, with the NBA on uh, how they'll fix this timeline because, you know, it's a, the NBA timeline is tight. It's, it's, you know, 10 days after the finals end, you have the draft. And then sh- uh, a week after that is free agency. And then a week after that is, is summer league. Summer. You know, there's no, there's no time. There's no padding. So it'll be fascinating to see how this is handled. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't, I have no idea what the timeline will be. Um, I'm curious, Ben, for you for you and your, your preparation for the draft, what are you planning to do in terms of, you know, continuing your scouting?
1: I mean, just, I, I'm sure I'll just keep doing what I'm doing is just go back through old film. Um, I mean, we have quite a large sample for most guys. So I guess from a pure scouting perspective for crazy people like us who are going to take the time to watch as much tape as we can, we have almost a full season on everybody so i don't think it changes too much from my perspective maybe maybe some more time to go back and look at past drafts and or players from past classes and look at older film just to just to improve our improve our knowledge of things like development and past trends and looking how looking at how stars became stars and busts became busts i think there's potentially going to be more of that which is a good thing. I mean, it feels wrong to take any sort of positive in this situation, but that's definitely, that's something that could improve discourse and improve all of our, really all of our abilities. But yeah, I don't think much really changes from a personal scouting perspective, except it's just, it's just going to be so weird. Like these last couple of days, it's just like watching basketball. just felt kind of different. Like I don't know. Yeah.
0: It's, it's funny. Awesome. That, it's funny that you mentioned past drafts. Cause that was the exact same, um, inclination that i had that uh you know go back and look at these guys and and effectively scout them as we're doing it for the first time uh because i mean we're both we're both young guys um our our track record on this isn't that long uh so even someone as recent as like jason tatum i want to go back and watch him he has he has a stat profile that i think points to a guy who who definitely had stardom within his outcomes and um I'd like to certainly watch and find out what signs were there uh, that this this was going to happen, and I think that's something that could be really valuable uh, because you know it's it's really hard to go back and and track how you're doing on guys, and that's something that I, that I might take the opportunity to do as well. Really dive in on on the rookie seasons of a lot of the guys from 2019, I think could be informative, uh, but definitely going back, I, I think this is a tremendous opportunity where like i mentioned the the timeline is so compressed when it comes to nba stuff and and at least for us you know as soon as as soon as the 2019 draft happened i know you and i were both you know binging uh 2020 guys and the same thing will happen next year and so now to have an actual break in the games you know it's so overwhelming I mean, both of us are are full-time students uh, just trying to keep up with all this stuff. Having a break where we're not getting any new games is kind of, is weirdly kind of a blessing because there are there's so much basketball out there on the internet that um, you know having an opportunity to just catch up on it is is kind of nice. Um, yeah, you know, I was I was I've already taken the opportunity to watch some some 2021 guys that I hadn't seen yet. Um, I think it, it can be a really beneficial experience for for a lot of uh, amateur draft people out there.
1: Yeah, it's like, maybe we'll go back and watch 10, 15 games from every prospect. I mean, that's the thing that this is going to allow us to do. And yeah, just go back and watching these guys. Like, we can look at a guy like Kawhi, like even go back as him. Like, how did Kawhi become just the mega mega scorer? mega shooter that he did I mean just going back and refining our analysis and like you said watching 2019 rookies seeing like really diving in because I know Max and I uh it's just hard to find time to watch NBA in depth with all the draft things we do besides the teams that we cover or support I mean it's just difficult to have an acute knowledge of all 30 NBA teams it's well not difficult it's it's impossible really um, so that's just gonna be a good opportunity to go back, uh keep refining our knowledge. And we will definitely have all of that content on the Prep the Pro NBA Draft Podcast. So stay tuned for that. We will definitely be doing some old draft stuff on this podcast in the future, I'm sure of that. So yeah, that's plenty of off season projects, but I guess the, the off season technically kinda starts now almost, which is really well, it's h- wild to think about.
0: It's so hard to know. I and mean, that's that's the whole thing. We we just we don't know anything. And it seems like at least a timeline will be coming shortly for, for the NBA and initial timeline. Of course, those things are subject to change. Um, but just the, yeah, the lack of information I think is pretty unsettling. Um, and just, I mean, it's just not fun. None of, none of this is fun. Uh, but there's still basketball to watch. And uh, yeah, I mean, there always will be There's There's more, there's more basketball um, on the internet than one person could ever watch. Uh, I mean, like even the, if you go to like the FIBA YouTube page alone, there's more basketball than you could ever watch. Uh, and that's not to be like a, you know, up on a high horse saying that, you know, people shouldn't complain about the lack of basketball. I totally understand if someone only watches the NBA because they have an allegiance to one, one particular team and they don't, they don't care about, about other basketball. But if you really do have a, a hankering for the sport, Um, there is, there's more FIBA than you could ever watch. There's more high school basketball than you could ever watch. There are old NBA games, uh, so much just, I mean, as as simple as typing it in on YouTube. Um, so there is, there is basketball out there to watch. Unfortunately, there is no live basketball. There is no, uh, live NBA or, or college basketball, but there is basketball
1: out there. Yeah, there's always going to be stuff to watch, and I do really feel for the NBA guys whose jobs are to report on these teams. I mean, for them, I mean, for us, who were, like, pretty much our coverage is almost full-time draft, The uh, we'll always have stuff to cover. But for those guys, I mean, it's just really difficult because they don't have a beat to cover anymore. So it's just hard to switch for some people. But, like yeah, like Max said, there is plenty of basketball to watch. We're still going to have... Plenty of basketball coverage throughout the offseason as long as we can. So stay tuned to the Preps Pro NBA Draft po- pod podcast which again is sponsored by Simply Safe. Go to simplysafe.com/team today and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com/team. That is simplysafe.com/team.
0: And now we're going to go to our planned programming for today's episode. Uh we're going to talk about the biggest swing skills in the 2020 Draft class. Um, so basically, the premise is this class is super flat. Uh, I guess remains to be seen um, how flat and deep it will actually end up being. But um, there are a lot of guys that I think we both think could be among the best players in the class. And um, I think it makes sense to discuss what you know, crucial skills will determine if a guy flames out of the league or if he, you know, is among those those very best players in the class. Uh and I think a natural place to start would be with uh if he shoots guys. So guys who have who have a lot of surrounding skills, um, who would really be unlocked as, as big time players if they develop the ability to shoot. And you know, to the extent of that is is up in the air, whether it's just shooting spot ups, that I think that would change the equation for a bunch of guys, or of course if guys get um their pull-ups going then it's a totally different uh different equation and you could have some real i think star level players uh i think the most obvious guy to talk about when it comes to to if he shoots prospects would be isaac okoro uh the auburn wing about six 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 seven not six seven probably six six um strong great finisher uh shows flashes of touch around the basket. Um, pretty dominant defender who has I think we mentioned this on the first podcast what was it 14 uh, catch and shoot half court jumpers this year that he's made Um, yeah the shot is is not good the free throw percentage is not good it has always been a huge problem Um, but Isaac Okoro if he learns to shoot off spot ups I think would be a really pretty high level starter on the wing but if the pull up ever comes you're talking about a guy who whose skills would compound in a way that would make him one of the best players in the class without a doubt, because he has such impressive passing ability for for a wing player, um, especially working off the dribble. He he's improved his handle a lot since since um since last year, even uh, to the point where he has some dribble moves now, and he's just a lot more comfortable passing off the dribble. So you know, like a problem for him in high school would be that he, he's capable of making these pretty high level reads. So you'd see where he'd, he'd curl into the lane without the ball and he'd catch the ball. And then on the move, he could deliver a, a really impressive pass. But when he was encumbered by his handle, when he had to try to gather the ball to deliver the pass, he couldn't do it. And it wasn't a problem of, of this guy doesn't have it mentally. He has that star level decision-making in place, but it was just a lack of coordination with the ball uh, and we've seen that improve already. And now if he's pressuring the defense with the threat of a pull-up, I mean, this is a guy who's who, the value of these skills can compound in such an exponential way. I mean, he could be a, a, a true star and like very easily, I think the best player in the class, if if he were to ve- to develop a, a, especially a pull-up, but even even with a, a, a like a reliable spot-up jumper, Isaac Okoro is one of the better players in the class.
1: Yeah, I think... I don't think he really even needs the pull-up to be maybe even the best player in the class because like you said, I mean, the pull-up is obviously his his superstar level outcome. And I think if he gets even semi-reliable shooting pull-ups, he's probably a top 25, 20-ish kind of player with a defender and the playmaker we expect him to be. But just having that, that threat of a spot-up opens up so much because, I mean, as we've seen, it has, as our friend and noted cop, Zach Milner, has talked about <laughs> over and over, um, SEC teams just kind of stop guarding him on the wing and that hurts him a lot because one of his great utilities as kind of an off-ball threat is being able to attack closeouts and create advantage situations and then with his excellent decision making and his vision he can then find passes out of those close out of those closeouts and even if his spot up is somewhat reliable I mean that's going to be something he can go as long as he can force NBA guys to close on to close out on him and not just ignore him he's going to be able to use that passing I mean we see lots of guys add pa- add passing as an off ball threat. I mean, he doesn't need to be this on ball pick and roll playmaker to be a serious threat. And so as long as he can be a guy who um, who can shoot spot ups, I think he can really unlock one of his higher end outcomes, which is which is which is a consideration to to think about for me and why I still have him top 10. I feel like a lot of guys even on draft twitter are kind of falling out on Isaac Okoro. and I don't think it's really responsible to to I don't want to responsible. I don't really agree with letting him fall that far because uh, developing just a spot up jumper isn't that difficult. We've seen plenty of guys with not super great shooting indicators develop reliable spot up jumpers in the NBA. I mean, just look at a random guy like I don't know Brooke Lopez who who is who became even an elite three point shooter just for a year. Um, so just having that like. Uh, spot-up jumpers, like I'm saying, is one of the easiest skills to develop. I'm not saying it's easy. It's certainly not easy for a guy to go from a poor or non-shooter to a threat. But it's a lot easier than, say, star-level decision making or a or reliable handle or incredibly functional strength, all which Isaac Okoro has and has those super valuable wing skills. And like I said, Isaac Isaac Okoro isn't a non-shooter. I mean, his free throw percentage is like 67%, which is not great, but it's also not like abysmal. His mechanics aren't wonderful, but they aren't like Brandon Clark Brandon Clark pre-Gonzaga. I mean, his his shot his shot base is workable. I think just looking at potential improvement i mean that's a skill that if he improves he can pretty immediately reach one of his higher end outcomes which is a lot which is a lot um more reassuring than guys who maybe have more difficult skills that they need to develop like like a decision making or a handling or even defense that so just with, with that spot up shooting i think is the reason i'm probably gonna remain relatively in on isaac Okoro. i mean just 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 like in projecting development that's something you have to consider
0: yeah, I agree with the idea that if he can get to be an actual threat on spot ups, like forgetting the pull up that that would be a, a real game changer for him. But I don't want to I don't want to overstate how easy it is to get to a point where people actually have to close out on you. Because I mean, there are so many guys, especially at that size, like, like 6'7, six, 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 like guys who, who will take you know, four, uh, four or five threes per hundred possessions and shoot them at 35%. And that looks like fine on a basketball reference page. But in reality, I mean, that's a guy that the defense is going to ignore. That's not going to draw draw hard closeouts, which is what I think a will need. Um, So I don't want to, I don't want to overstate how easy it is for him to develop to the point that he needs the spot up. But I do agree with the notion that if he gets the spot up down to a point where it is an actual threat that that will transform his game uh, because he is he is a, an explosive athlete um, and it, was, it, it really does he has a, a collection of skills that would just compound with with the threat of a spot up even to produce a, a highly valuable player um, and it's just it's an outcome that has to be accounted for and a reason that I remain fairly high in a though like you and much of draft Twitter am cooling. Uh, a fairly significant amount as well.
1: Yeah, so I'll segue um, with a question. Who, do you, who shot do you buy more and why? Isaac Okoro or Denny? Denny Abisha. Um, Abisha, greatly.
0: Man. Um, it's a tough one. Probably Denny because of his willingness to take them. Like, Denny has a pretty quick trigger on them when he's played at lower levels like A and G.T., uh, and been the guy as opposed to with Maccabi on a really strong team as a role player. He's taken these really ambitious pull-ups. Uh, Denny's upper body is good on his jumper. I think it's, it's mostly lower body issues. Um, I don't entirely buy Denny. Schott. I don't, I don't buy Denny shot. I mean, it, and he has the the free throw issues though. I think there are, there are reasons to believe with him, especially just because of how intense and how down on himself he seems to get, that he the free throws are separate issues, that it's less of a mechanical issue and more of a, a mental thing. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm more inclined to believe in Denny as a shooter. I don't, I don't think he'll get there as a pull-up guy by any means, and that's why I remain a bit lower on him. But as a, as a spot-up guy, I think he'll probably get to a respectable level. Or, or not even a respectable level, but I think he'll get to be one of those guys who's a, a four or five per one hundred attempt guy at thirty, like mid to low thirties. Um, whereas a Coral, I don't know if he'll get there. Like a Coral, really might be a guy who doesn't take them and shoots twenty five percent, and and that's where the the real uh, scary outcomes come with him. But Denny, I, I think, will probably be shooting to a point where, at the very least, he'll fool people looking at at Basketball Reference.
1: Yeah, I do think. Uh... First, I'll say I agree with you. I think the willingness to take pull-ups is just really important. I mean, just like looking back at a young age, um, young guys who take take a lot of pull-ups tend to do better shooting in the future. I mean, you look at a guy like like I like I mentioned him briefly at some point, but look at a guy like a Kawhi who had better shooting indicators, but none that suggested he'd be this god-tier pull-up shooter. And one of the things we can point to is that he took a lot of unassisted two point jumpers, and Denny and Denny certainly has that quality. So just the fact that he's willing to take them and willing to put himself out there, even if the results aren't so great. I mean, like to, like the free throw, sh- the, the free throw percentage is so bad. I mean, it's been in the fifties for years now, and it hasn't looked to. And signs of improvement aren't really there for him. But just just like like I said, I mean, Denny like a Coro, is a guy who. Just having a reliable spot-up jumper changes a lot. Probably doesn't cha- probably doesn't change as much from a Coro because I think Denny probably projects better on ball than a Coro, and the, the pull-up's more important for Denny's role than it would be for a Coro's. But still, um, just like having the spot-up obviously doesn't hurt Denny; it helps him significantly. But so yeah, that's that's a, that's something to consider when ranking a guy like Denny. I mean, how likely is it that he develops? Um, a jumper versus someone else developing their decision-making personally i think i think um ranking i'd probably say still go coro over denny um just because just just because like talking thinking about role um a like like i said it's it's a lot more difficult to develop a reliable pull-up jumper than a reliable spot-up jumper and just thinking about what they need for their roles is an important consideration too. And Danny's going to need more pull up for his role, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like, it doesn't look great for both of them, but it's both of them are pretty young and have a lot of time to develop that. And in this draft with so much uncertainty, I mean, certainly not a bad bet to assume they'll develop something at some point in their career. So.
0: Yeah. I, I have a core higher, and I think I'm going to stay that way um, because I think that the shot is a lot more important for Denny. So I think that there's, there's a miscon There's, at least in the with people who don't follow the draft closely there's some misconceptions misconception with Denny where he's this um international white guy and people assume that he's a shooter and he's very much not he's like a, a slasher he is an intense defender um and the shot is a huge question mark um and I tend to think that that Denny without a spot up is not really a tenable player in the NBA because while I do really like his defense um it, uh in even in in Euroleague, a very high level of competition. I don't think that especially the team defense will translate uh, one-to-one because he doesn't have serious length. He plays with a lot of intensity and I think is strong for his frame, but his frame is not particularly good. He is not an imposing vertical leaper. So I really just don't think that the help defense impact is going to translate fully. And then on the ball, uh, he is fine laterally, I would say. But definitely not great, and I don't think is going to be viable on on like high level NBA wings or forwards. Um, so I think that Denny will be like a a positive on defense, but certainly not a huge positive. And if he doesn't shoot spot ups, I mean, he's going to be a considerable negative on offense. Like he'll always be a very good transition player, uh, and he is he is a, a skilled slasher. Like he gets very low, he takes like good routes to the rim for his size. He is a, a coordinated handler, um, but He's he's not going to be a dominant finisher. He uh, it just in the in the half court. I don't think Denny is at all viable if he does not have a spot up, and therefore, like I don't think his game on the whole is viable if he doesn't have a spot up. Whereas Okoro, I think he has similar issues with the lack of length. Uh, his his vertical bounce is worse than it was um, in high school because he's added a bunch of mass. Uh, but I think that there are, you can sort of play Akoro as a big because he's so freakishly strong, um, and I think that that lets you get away with some things. and And uh, he could be a viable rotation player without the spot of really factoring in just because he can be he can be a playmaker on the short roll. He can score in the post. He's shown some some facility scoring out of out of isolations because he can just explode to the rim. And he is a really dominant finisher in college. What is he like? Something like seventy percent around the rim. Yeah, something um, crazy like that yes yeah, so i think that okoro yeah. is more viable if the shot so. yeah i think okoro is more viable if the shot doesn't come around uh and that's one of the reasons that i have him higher but denny is very interesting if you start to think about the, the pull-up coming into play because he is a really skilled passer uh both in transition uh out, of, uh out of the post and as a pick and roll operator and if you have this guy who's a six nine forward who's a skilled slasher who is a a you know, very smart pick and roll passer who then can shoot pull ups and can you know threaten the defense like that. I mean, that's a really really valuable player. So uh, maybe Denny with with a pull up is is a more um, compelling package. But just when you're accounting for all of this, you know, these range of of outcomes with both of these guys, I find Okoro to be a, a more compelling bet.
1: Yeah, and I agree. And I think Denny has this rep as a very safe prospect, a guy who people consider just like a safe pick to be good. And I don't really agree from agreeing with you. I think the key the key thing here that you alluded to was just scalability that Isaac Okoro like even without a shot can function in a variety of of roles and schemes but without without being on ball i think denny's value in the half court is neutered quite a bit obviously he's going to be a monster in transition there's like a mismatch pushing there with his jokic like outlet passes and like being able to grab rebounds and push but like especially in the playoffs that just becomes less viable and denny's someone who if he doesn't have that pull up um He's really just not going to be threatening on ball in the NBA without really plus athletic tools, um, and the pull up, and so he's just going to be someone who is not who's going to have a who's going to have more trouble than someone like Cora would functioning, uh, with lower usage. I think that's definitely important to um to consider with just like, having guys who can add value with lower usage. And Denny's a guy who I'm not sure uh, he's going to do that.
0: Yeah, and I think that um an assumption that a lot of people make is that a guy who's contributing in Euroleague so young is a safe bet. And I mean, I agree with you fully. I don't think Denny is a safe bet at all, which is why he's, he's consistently fallen for me throughout the year. Um, whereas someone like, I, I it's just, it's just somewhere where you have to, you have to consider it on a case by case basis because someone like Tao Maladon, uh, six, three, six, four combo guard, uh, playing for Asvel in in France, um, he is he's playing competent Euroleague minutes, and I do think that's a good sign for him uh, as as a safe prospect. Even though you know he's not necessarily a dominant player, not not a, like I think not a prospect that either of us is particularly in on. In that case, I think that um, getting by in Euroleague minutes as an 18 year old is a very good sign. But for Denny, looking at the specific ways that he impacts the game, uh, I, I'm a little questionable uh because of that that defensive translation and because of just really like i i don't think that he's going to be a viable offensive player without the shot
1: yeah so those are the big ones the the really big guys at the top of the draft that if they shoot if they shoot their projections are totally warped and but there's quite a few lower profile guys um who have this same kind of problem and there's a lot of guards who have this who have this um have this conundrum and even like even towards the top of the draft um you have a guy like Trey Jones or Devin Dotson who have just the, some skills that make them super enticing but being small guards and not being able to shoot pull-ups at a high level is kind of a death sentence in the modern NBA for their for their value so which so there there are quite a few of these guys that are going to be um going to have a factor. So Max, gonna...
0: um, yeah, I think that I I so, something that I was looking at recently, just thinking about this class was um, you know, the NBA's most impactful guards, and they're literally all elite pull-up shooters. Like there is there is no one who's even anything below borderline elite who is is like a high-level guard uh, impact guard. It, I think that like Drew is probably the best at this point. I guess, like, fully optimized Russ, but in the playoffs, he sort of he tapers off a lot, and I think that's an important thing to consider. Same with, with Eric Bledsoe. Um, so you really do need a pull-up if you're going to be a high-level guard. Uh, and there's, I don't think, a ton of reason to believe in, in someone like Devin Dotson or, or Trey Jones having a high-level pull-up. Dotson is interesting to me because um, of his ability to get to the rim uh, and finish there uh you know if he has a pull-up he's he's going to be really good um and i think that's something that you do have to account for but the odds of of that being there don't seem super high and if devin dodson is a guy who is one of those like three and d point guards at what what do we think devin dodson six one um he's so he's a one position guard defender who will have to play off the ball i mean there are some situations where that guy is useful but from an actual team team building standpoint that's not all that useful of a proposition. Um, so I'm, I think a lit, a little bit lower on, on a guy like Devin Dotson. Um, I, I still have him in my first round because I think you do have to account for the, the possibility that he really experiences some outlier growth as a, as a pull-up shooter, but it's not an encouraging bet by any means.
1: No, definitely not any like Defense is such an important thing to consider because even if these small guards are even positive defenders in college, like a guy like Devin Dawson, like you said, he's what, 6'1 at most? It's just getting more, even more difficult to become positive or even neutral defenders that size in today's NBA. I mean, how many guys are like actual impact defenders that size? I mean, you have CP3, and who's just a, a, a strength and IQ god, and you have it's, a guy like Fred Van Fleet. Yeah. I mean, it's not that many. It's almost none. And just looking at a guy like Dotson who hasn't really shown the ability to guard up in college, that its it's I struggle to to value him super highly without the pull up. And I mean, I mean, the free throw percentage is certainly encouraging. He's shooting. I think 80, 83% from the line now and his touch is good and he shoots quite a few of them. But I mean, just looking at, I I talked about uh, uh, two point jumpers. He's 17 for 69. That's not great. I mean, he's not really hitting those. He's not the best mechanically on tape. He has kind of a wonky transition from his dribble to his pull up. And it's just, it's overall just not the greatest package. And mostly Dotson is a very, very good athlete with a pretty great first step, gets to the rim at will, but he's not like, a 99th percentile athlete and that's kind of what he'd need to be for me to um to have command like lottery or higher value or i said also i should mention the playmaking which is fine i mean he's gonna have an easier time making reads because because of the rim gravity he's gonna he's he's gonna command but he's just not that special of a playmaker and without the pull-up really to pull defenses especially i mean he's just kind of I mean, he's he, he's going to hit spot ups probably, but how valuable is a six one, off point guard? I'm not very. I mean, we we talked about not valuing these fringy point guards as much, and if you're not a star point guard or if you're not like super duper exceptional exceptional off ball guy, um, defender at that size, it's just hard to bet on. And even t- t- transitioning to a guy like Trey Jones, who I like more than Devin Dotson, because. I just think he's probably a tear up as a playmaker and a tear up as a defender. And I'll talk about the unassisted two point jumper thing again. Trey Jones this season has done quite well in that area. He's shooting um, 62 for 162 on on non-rim twos, 38.3% assists. So that's pretty good as looking historically back at guys. I mean, and I think the pull-up just anecdotally anecdotally has looked quite a bit better on tape. He's more willing to take them. He looks better when he's taking them. And just having that um, makes me more willing to bet on his pull-up. Interesting, um, who do you think is a better chance to be a pull-up guy, Uh, Trey Jones or Dotson?
0: I I don't know that I can answer that right now. I need to go in on both guys a bit more um my guess would probably be trey because he's upped the pull-up volume a lot this year um and the effectiveness has been better uh so i I would definitely lean trey and that's one of the reasons that i have him higher and i mean like you said the playmaking i think it's a a huge difference between those two but i mean you mentioned dotson's free throw percentage and i think that is a good sign for him being a spot-up guy but at least for me i have a much higher bar for initiators where i'm a lot less willing to project shooting like that that was a major concern with me for for jaw. And I think it's something that we saw manifest uh, as the season progressed a little bit with teams really, you know, daring him to shoot pull-ups that you don't just need to be a guy who can hit spot ups as a true initiator. You need to be a guy who can hit that pull up and developing that is a lot harder. Like, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, there are countless guys who developed into, into competent spot up shooters, but the list of guys who became, your lethal pull-up guys. I mean, what it's like Kyle Lowry, that's the list. Um, so I have a higher bar with initiators and that's why I'm less willing to put someone like Devin Dotson in the lottery because I just don't think that he's going to get to that level that he needs to get to as a pull-up guy. Uh, and I do think that's interesting with, with someone like Tyrese Halliburton who has played, who played as a, as a lead initiator in college, uh, this year at least. But, I think very few people, at least in the draft Twitter community, see him fulfilling that role in the NBA. I mean, he just doesn't have the ability to compromise a defense like that. And I don't think people buy his, his pull up. Uh, I think most of us probably do have faith in him as a spot up guy uh, and, and playing in in like a weird, like linking Lonzo type Mm -hmm. role. But I mean, if Halliburton's pull up comes around, do you think that he could be a true lead initiator? And and I mean, if that guy can threaten a defense, I mean, he's he's such a virtuoso passer. Um, the the possibilities with him get very interesting too.
1: I mean, yeah, I do think that's certainly a consideration. If if Halliburton's like actually able to hit pull ups out of the pick and roll, I mean, he's going to be pretty devastating offensively because he's such a masterful passer um just manipulating defenses and hitting the roll man and moving guys with his eyes and his body language but like i said i'm pretty skeptical of that just from like a mechanical point of view and uh, a reps point of view and i mean but talking about halliburton the the other really important consideration is strength which is just so so poor for him and looking at stars um almost every star has plus strength for their position which is which is something which is something that is super important that Halliburton completely lacks, and and physical development is possible, and we're going to talk more about that later in this episode as a, another avenue for for maybe Halliburton reaching a higher up upside than a lot of us maybe think he will, but yeah, I, it's just tough for me to project him as this real threatening initiator prospect without without um without a reliable pull up. And strength, which which on their own are difficult to develop, and having both of those things be be massive problems is a red flag for me. Um, t- having two of these skills that are difficult to develop are, it's just hard to bet on them, especially skills that are linked like that. Skills that initiators need to to reach high degrees of goodness to be true valuable initiators over replacement. And but I'll say I think Halliburton does have more off ball value than a lot of guys just because he is one like functionally taller. I mean he's bigger than a lot of these small guards and if he can hit spot outs which i think we all think he probably will he can make some money attacking off the ball and maybe running some secondary pick and roll off off ball actions but that's just a hard sell for me a guy who you're taking in the top 10 um a guy who's going to be like a a tertiary kind of creator who's has lots of questions about his ability to get to the line and finish he's got like an under 20 free throw rate he he's really terrible with contact, so that's I mean that's a fixable thing, but certainly not an easy fix. And looking at upside, we want to look at which fixes are the easiest. And he has two fixes that are not easy by any means. So it's just more difficult to really be in on him, especially considering he's a sophomore too. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, should we shift now? I mean, we've talked a lot about a lot of guys who. Um, Either their outcome will, will shift a lot with their shooting. And I think that there are always a ton of those guys, both at the top and, and on the fringes. But um, some real like high-leverage high, high leverage guys in this class uh, ha- have issues where if they can just rein in decision-making, which is I know something that we've said time and time again is something that's hard to improve. Um, there are some guys that, that could be the single best player in the class if they ran that in. And, of course, the... One that immediately comes to mind would be Anthony Edwards, uh, my top-ranked prospect, and I think top-five guy for most people. Uh, uh, Six-five combo off-guard wing type guy at at Georgia, freshman, um, and Edwards his decision-making is very poor. He loves to take bad shots. Like, like he'll, he'll, the ball will swing to him for a wide open spot up and he'll have to dribble and then take a contested pull up like one step to his left because he just, he loves taking difficult shots. Uh, he, you know, misses passes all the time. He, uh, just like, doesn't really try. I mean, he's this just like freakish explosive athlete who can get, uh, you know, downhill and finish at the rim. And yet he just chooses not to do that. (laughs) um, Most of the time, his defensive decision-making is utterly baffling. I mean, just like he'll, he will keep doubles at random times, going for these steals that he'll never get, taking himself out of the play. I mean, he's just a mess of a decision-maker. And the point that I've raised is that I think with him, the the, the, sa- the sort of saving grace is that the decisions will never be that complicated for him once he actually starts to pressure the defense the way he can, because it's just... He's so compromising as a scorer; it's just simple kickouts and stuff like that. Um, the other thing that I'll say is that I actually don't think decision making is necessarily the biggest problem with Edwards, because I don't think that his his tough jumper proclivity is necessarily just a matter of preferences. I think that a lot of it stems from his his weakness, his handle weakness, and his inability to gather the ball. Uh, I think that he actually probably cannot get downhill as much as you'd think just watching him at his most powerful moments because he is so explosive when, when he can get downhill. But I think the handle is disturbed so easily. It's so loose. And I mean, he does flash, I think, like potent dribble moves, but they're not that frequent so I think that if he could actually improve his handle and his ability to gather the ball strongly, that that would really take him to the next level in terms of compromising the defense. And then he just has those easy reads to make. Now, the problem with that is that improving handle is very difficult. I think it's something that we see. Uh, it's something that we mentioned with, with Isaac Okoro is that in the last year, he's improved a lot in that regard. But it is something that's hard to do. Uh, we see it in the NBA sometimes, but as an older player, it can be hard. There are physical... Um, limitations that come into play that can be really hard to see uh so i don't know if it's necessarily a good thing that uh in my opinion like equally large limiter for him would be uh his handle but i do think that that's the case where to an extent we're probably overrating how much of the decision making is uh a problem with anthony edwards relative to uh his his very loose and, and uncontrolled handle
1: right and building off of that i think Another important consideration is that there's a good chance Anthony Edwards is just going to develop into a star-level difficult shot maker, which is another thing that most offensive stars are, um, just guys who can just consistently hit difficult, hit the kind of shots that Edwards loves taking. I mean, he's clearly not there yet. His percentages aren't the best, and a lot of these shots he'd be better off not taking. But if he can become a guy that is able to hit these ridiculous shots at a, at a, a reasonable clip, that's another avenue to stardom i mean you look at a guy like chris middleton who's a less than spectacular decision maker and a less than spectacular defender but has really found himself contributing star value this season because he just doesn't miss like he he hits everything and i think edwards is a guy who can definitely get there i mean a a guy who can be so good of a shot maker such a great shot creator that the decision making is less inhibiting but then on on the flip side of that you have guys like zach levine who is also a star level difficult shot maker, but he's so poor as a decision maker and as a defender that it doesn't really matter that he's, it's hard for to value him as a positive player on a winning team. And that's, a, that's going to be the thing to measure with Edwards. It's just the degrees of goodness or badness that his, that his decision-making and defensive ability um, kind of reach. And like I said, I think, I think uh, Edwards is probably safer than he gets credit for because um Uh, like an important consideration is that guys who have multiple ways to hit high-end outcomes are going to be safer than guys who can't and Edwards has multiple avenues to hit really high-end valuable valuable outcomes it's can he improve his decision making and his defense to a level where he can thrive as like a secondary ish creator can he improve his difficult shot making to the point where it's one of the best in the league and he can provide value even despite his decision making and defensive flaws even also i've talked about it before but a guy who's going to be able to do more than he gets credit for off ball is just this excellent cutter with with good timing combined with his freakish athletic tools um just compromising defenses that aren't paying attention to him so anthony edwards is looking at those things and like like said the handle is obviously a huge concern if you just look at his his dribbling paths a lot of them are really rounded he doesn't take straight lines of the basket and I don't think that's because he he doesn't want to I, I think that's because he probably can't he just doesn't really have the handle to get low and control the ball in traffic which which causes him to resort to going around defenses which kind of destroys the angles that his powerful athleticism creates and sometimes he can still make it work with a crazy difficult finish or just plowing through a guy because he's that type of athlete but Uh, in the NBA when freakish athletes are more common, he's not going to be able to do that. So having – these are difficult skills to improve, handle, and decision-making, but they're ones that can really make Anthony Edwards a kind of game-changing player if he can get to a level where they're functional or even beyond that.
0: Yeah, I think the guy who's more purely uh, – his his outcomes really swing on decision-making would be Kyra Lewis, uh, point guard at at Alabama. Um, Because Kyra is – blindingly fast uh can get to the rim whenever he chooses to um but can't really finish there uh his shot i think we we probably buy it uh, enough at least i think that he is enough of a threat of a pull-up uh to be viable but i find his decision making to be really bad uh he just i mean he he takes bad shots he misses all sorts of passes uh Again, with, with him, it, it should be easy. He should be compromising the defense so much that um that the, the fruit should should hang really low for him. But I haven't found that he really drives offense the way you need an initiator too. Um and he has he has all sorts of, of body issues also with being very weak. Uh granted he is while being a sophomore, he is so young that he was literally not eligible for the draft last Younger year. Younger
1: than me. Scary. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, so Kyra, I think a lot of it swings on on decision making. But if he can rein that in, I mean, he could easily be among the the very best players in the
1: class. Yeah, and I will defend Kyra here, and I believe his decision making has gotten better as the season progressed. I've watched a little bit of him recently, kind of reevaluating myself, and I've moved up on Kyra quite a bit in the Vanderbilt game. I'm not sure if you watched it. His decision making was pretty good. Um, relative to to some of the older games that he's played, like I remember vividly a game like the UNC game where he missed quite a few passes and a lot of. I think they're going down, still there, but going down and just uh, like a, a guy who's gonna get to the rim as much as he is is gonna have um, more open passing windows and is gonna have an easier time passing than a guy like I don't know um, just. Any player with a poor first step, um, so just I, I think that's an encouraging development point too. His in-game reps aren't going to be as strenuous because he's going to have more avenues to pass through, and I think that's a consideration for his passing improving because he's he's kind of a weird passing prospect because there aren't a lot of guys who are so like technic who are so like crafty with with, with these live dribble ambidextrous skip passes, and he's got all those, but then he's he'll miss. Um, not like super advanced, but more complex pick and roll reads. He'll he'll have pretty open passes that he's inaccurate, and because of that inaccuracy, the advantage is gone. And I'm I'm curious how fixable those skills are relative to the passing acumen that he already shows, because he has some passing tools that are incredibly valuable and incredibly promising. Just like the technical ability to make passes with both hands, the ability to pass off a live dribble, hairpin trigger pass, hairpin trigger skips to the weak corner, and things like that. So. I'm I'm really interested to track him as a passer going forward. That's really the key development. That is the key development here. I'm, it's the ability to increase his vision and to improve his ability to make those advanced reads because he's going to get plenty of simple reads too with, with the way he's going to pull defenses to himself at the rim. Like I said, the finishing, he is not a good finisher. Finishing a flat 50% at the rim, which is really poor for his volume. I mean, he has so many... I mean, besides this being weak and that being an inhibitor he has this issue where he jumps consistently too early and he'll and he'll have and he'll be off balance because of it and that's something that's fixable but i i suspect quite a bit of it is going to stem from a lack of lower body strength because he has really no vertical pop in the half court i mean he can get up in in the open floor but everyone worth their salt can so i mean Kyra's a guy who i'm relatively in on just because that first step as being as elite as it is is just such a rare a rare tool and one that's so um such a hallmark of these star level initiators and like you said i'm not like super in on the pull-up because but like he's his touch is good and he's shown enough um cap- uh, capability there that i think it's reasonable that he's okay enough there but yeah so Kyra's a guy who his development is gonna like you said depend a lot on the, the degree of his passing goodness
0: yeah, and he, I like you mentioned, he is a he's a weird passer because he is like technically he's very good at executing passes. It's the conceiving of them that he that he's bad at. So like if you gave Isaac Okoro's brain to Kyra Lewis, you'd have a dominant passer, um, because he is so good at like transitioning from working off the dribble to executing a pass. Like like you said, live dribble with both hands. Like it's it's some of the the stuff that he does is really impressive, but it's the mental aspect that isn't there. And the problem is that. As a scorer, I don't think he can quite cover for bad decisions in the way that someone like Anthony Edwards can. Because when Anthony Edwards takes a bad shot, like he is such a skilled bad shot maker that he very well may make it. Um, You know, when if Kyra Lewis uh, plows into a guy at the rim and attempts to finish, like Anthony Edwards can hit a guy, like knock him back, maintain balance, and finish with either hand. Um, Kyra Lewis cannot do that. When he makes a bad decision, it's going to be a bad outcome um so that's it, it i think it really for him does hinge on the decision making uh but if he if he irons that out i mean he he could be a really really good player um yeah, i'll
1: make one more point quickly on kyra i'm i'm actually been I, i've moved up quite a bit on kyra he's risen into my top 10 but i'll say um his pick and roll game is also kind of underwhelming to me i he's not as com- as complex and skilled as a pick and roll manipulator as you wish he, he really uses jail and things like that and really manipulate screen angles, which which he really should be doing with a guy as quick as he could. Because if he becomes really advanced as a pick-and-roll operator, that's another avenue to just being so compromising with his speed. Because once he gets the slightest advantage on the defense, he's he's at the rim whenever he wants. So, yeah, Kyra, a really interesting guy to, to follow his development and will be a good test case looking back in a couple years to see where he is, to see how he's developed, what is the cause of that development, and what we can learn from it going forward.
0: Should we talk about uh, weighing pre-college sample uh, sp- specifically with respect to Cole Anthony?
1: Yes, let's do it. Um, I think as we've been learning and as both of us learned last year with guys like R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish, that pre-college sample is important and context is important. And both of us are, I think, relatively in on Cole Anthony. I have him top five still um yeah, I've nights, got but. him
0: I've got him top 10 uh he might make a late surge again for me I'm gonna go back and watch I've watched a couple of these games since he returned from injury but I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a few more shots especially I think I, I've heard the Duke game was really good right from a was,
1: standpoint. right and I was planning on talking about that in later in the show but we might as well just cover it now since we're talking about Cole anyway and his decision making and his passing was a lot more reminiscent of pre-college Cole Anthony which in in FIBA and in AAU he clearly had issues as a passer with his decision making he'd take some maddening shots but it was also clear that he was very talented as a passer too in the pick and roll and It just was a better decision maker than he's shown at North Carolina. And in the Duke game, even though his stat line was underwhelming, he had like something like nine points and three assists. I don't know, but his, his decision-making was consistently excellent. I mean, in the second half, it waned a little bit and he reverted to some of his old tendencies, but I think he might've only taken like one bad pull up in the first half and he made it. And second half, there was some more, but he was consistently not forcing things. He had a couple impressive pocket passes and it's just so difficult with his team context. And, I feel like team context is something that people generally overrate the importance of, but not with this UNC team because it's so, so frighteningly bad for Cole. I mean, he just has no spacing, nobody else to pressure the defense. I mean, he's, threading pocket passes to Garrison Brooks who's surrounded by two other teammates because they're stationed on the block I mean you're not going to get assists that way and you're not going to get numbers that way but especially in the Duke game he showed the ability to that he has that pocket pass that he can pressure the defense with and like I said the burst is a big issue but I think both of us believe that he's going to be a pretty great pull-up shooter and he's going to have that threat to be able to defenses and once he can his decision making is going to look a lot better because in like just going back and watching his FIBA his FIBA U18 I think it was where the floor was a lot more spaced I mean he was getting to the rim making making these passes that had a lot of us ranking Cole number two and number one on a lot of on a lot of people's boards I think some people had him like 1.1 in his own tier which which uh, neither of us bought but smart people did and there was reason to buy that so I think looking at a guy like Cole Anthony um who's Who's objectively struggled quite a bit this season. And just weighing things like team context and pre-college sample is important because in the NBA, um, basically any situation he lands in is going to be more favorable than UNC, who is going to have more space to operate and make plays. So, it, I mean, Cole Anthony, just with the level of this level of pull-up shooter that we think he can be, I mean, the decision making I believe and the passing is better than he's shown in college, and that's a real reason to rank him highly still.
0: Yeah, I think that I do want to make clear for people who don't follow high school basketball or or AAU that Cole was inarguably a dominant player at those levels. He was the best player uh, at Nike EYBL, uh, probably like, I guess, Tyrese who was, I guess, in his tier um, for their year, but Cole... Cole was utterly dominant. He's like a 90% free throw shooter on high volume, which is something you do not see for guys that age. Um, he really was a truly dominant player. The thing that concerns me is that Cole was, was number two on my board coming into the year. Um, and I thought that they, I had him and Anthony Edwards in their own tier. Uh, but in the first sentence of my, of my write up on my board, I wrote that his burst uh, at the very least wasn't a strength. And, I think that little did we know. Yeah. Relative to the athletes he was playing against then it looked like, okay, it's, it's not a strength. He's not explosive horizontally. Um, but I think it turns out that his burst is actually really bad. Like I don't, yes, the circumstances are bad at UNC. They play two bigs. Um, it's, it's a problem and he's been injured a lot of the year. However, I think that the burst is actually bad. Um, like you said, I do buy him as a as a pretty high level pull up shooter and and spot up shooter. Um, so I think that he's he's still a, a compelling player from from an NBA standpoint, but I'm kind of out on him as like a, a true initiator type. I think he's a guy that you're gonna want next to someone else, which is why like the idea of Cole Anthony with with a team like the Celtics, where they have um, they have Jason Tatum as a as a guy who's who's going to be your primary going forward. Uh, Cole Anthony is a really appealing fit, but I think that with him, it's just going to be a matter of finding a team where you're not, you're not drafting him to be the guy. Um, which is why he's fallen behind guys like LaMelo ball, Killian Hayes, uh, even someone like, like RJ Hampton, uh, for me. Um, but I, I think that we should consider what Cole looked like before this year. I am going to go back and watch some of his EYBL games. Uh, and and really familiarize myself again with a guy who was genuinely very dominant at that level of play because we've seen i think in the nba that that guys who find themselves in weird circumstances for what is just 30 games of college basketball for most guys and in Cole's case what like 15 18 something like that um so i think that it's worth considering Cole's pre-college sample although i am i am going to weight the unc sample pretty heavily and and certainly not have him uh as the same uh like stature of prospect as i did
1: coming into the year which was top two yeah he's played 22 games this year which is not great and i will say i think i've honestly gotten a little bit higher on his defense as watching him at unc because that was something i was pretty iffy on in watching him pre-college but he's got quite a bit of issues he's got quite a few issues there um just mental lapses um technical stuff like pick and roll defense but just a, a guy who's a freshman in college who is legitimately strong for his position he's pretty monstrous functionally um, as just a strength guy and who shows legitimate um, aptitude as a defensive playmaker. I think those are two really valuable things to look at. And just understanding that most freshmen, especially ones as high usage as Cole, are going to have struggles as a team defender, especially. And from a projection standpoint, um, I think he projects as a positive defender, at least in my opinion. um, At least, at his position with strength like that and playmaking ability like that. I don't, I don't know what your take on that is, but I was going to I was gonna make one more point about this segment. Are there any other guys um, who you would be interested in based on the pre-college sample who have disappointed this year? I mean, a guy that came to my mind was Wendell Moore, who I don't think either of us were as high on coming into the year as some of the people, but he's certainly a guy that we're going to be interested in tracking next year who's just disappointed this year. But, I mean, one of the youngest players in the draft. Um, clearly pretty toolsy with uh, promising free throw percentage. So yeah, any guys you want to talk about there?
0: Well, I just want quickly to address Cole's defense. I'm a little less optimistic. I like the flashes of, of playmaking for sure, but he's like not very good laterally and, and like does not really know how to defend point of attack from like a navigating screen sc- screen standpoint. And he, he loses guys off the ball all the time. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that he is a moderately interesting defensive prospect. I would not bet on him being a positive. However, Um, guys, I mean, the Duke guys, both Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore, I do think are interesting. I still am kind of interested in Hurt in that, uh, he is, he is, the shot has has been there. The shot has, has totally been there and he showed a lot more ancillary skills at lower levels. Uh, I think a big problem with him is that he is so skinny and that we should have given more credence to that. I think because it was something that showed up at lower levels and when the athletes get bigger and stronger, it was in hindsight, pretty obvious that it was going to be more of a problem. But Hurd is still a guy that's interesting to me. Wendell Moore, like you mentioned, the thing that's weird with him is that one of his major selling points was, oh, he's this like hyper elite free throw guy. Um, and now he, he the free throw percentage has plummeted and he like isn't even taking threes in the limited minutes that he does play. Nonetheless, like you mentioned, he was the youngest guy of this class um, among like high level recruits. Uh, so I think that he's definitely worth monitoring for next year, but I I've lost more hope on him than I think yeah. on on Hurt.
1: He is still shooting eighty percent from the line, which is not. Oh, I thought it. I thought no, it was worse than that. No, he's shooting eighty eighty percent on sixty seven attempts, which is okay. pretty good. Uh, like I said, four for nineteen from three. He's not taking them. He's he hasn't really been that great on defense either. Um, yeah, I mean he's a guy that we're gonna want to monitor. Definitely going into next year. So why don't we move on to our second, to la- our our second to last one here, which is, which is a nice segue from Matt. Hurt is guys who guys who have to develop physically in some sort to survive and there's quite a few of these guys that like we've been harping on this whole podcast how important functional strength is and there's like a lot of guys who lack that but would probably be very good NBA players if they had that and the obvious one here is Lamelo Ball who many people myself included have as the top prospect in the draft we talked about this in the first episode but it was undeniably just so poor physically I mean his core strength is non-existent his balance is terrible he's totally contact the at the rim and because of his lack of core strength and lower body strength he has no burst so he i mean he's a guy who could easily flame out of the league just not being physically good enough but he's another guy who's so special as a passer and show slashes of pull-up shooting where he could be special there that if he develops physically if he can get in an nba weight room and build his core strength and his lower body strength to even an adequate level that he could provide some value in the nba so
0: yeah, I I don't think we should go too deep on LaMelo cuz we did talk about right. him like you mentioned in episode 1. Uh, but I something that's worth considering is where he ends up because a team like Golden State kind of famously like built up Steph Curry's uh core to the point where it really unlocked like his range and and um enabled him to have, you know, some of the greatest seasons we've ever seen. Uh so I think it is interesting in a that specific example because I mean theoretically Golden State could draft LaMelo ball, but uh, in the sense just in general of thinking about matching teams with um with players based on what they're capable of developing. I mean that's something that you really have to consider. If you're a team that you know if you really believe in your ability to build a guy's core strength and to fix a guy's balance then Lamelo Ball should be at the top of your board because if you can fix those things, I mean, he's a guy that has, I think, franchise-changing potential if you if you can do those things.
1: Absolutely, and just like segueing to another guy who I think is lower down on both of our boards for his physical limitations, but the guy, um, I think Alexej Pokusevsky, something like that, um, plays. That's, in, that's definitely Tony not you know. how you that's pronounce. That's definitely <laughs> not right. Um, Poku, uh, Poku, will call him plays in the greek second division who is just this legit seven footer who shows flashes of functional handling and passing and shooting but is just so physically incompetent that i mean he really struggles offensively in the half court in the greek second division that's a a red flag and a half but he's a guy who if 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 you trust your strength and conditioning program you can put on 20 pounds of muscle that that's a freakishly good investment so that's another just talking point about upside is upside for him is definitely far away but there's a pretty conceivable path to being a good NBA player even if that path is very difficult to reach
0: yeah I think Poku is a very uh theoretical player um I don't think that he can do anything in the half court uh but I also have not seen that much and I have like five games of his saved on my computer that I need to watch uh so I, I won't talk about him too in too much depth but just as a guy who I mean yeah, he's seven feet tall, and he can legitimately handle the ball, and and shows flashes of a pull-up. Uh, yeah, I mean that that in this class that could be a very interesting proposition. I think he's a very theoretical player, but uh, I am at the very least he is interesting among a class of guys who are fairly boring. So I do look forward to watching him. Some a guy that I do buy a lot though is um, Patrick Williams. At FSU, like a six-nine enormous forward, uh, he's he's insanely young. A guy that I thought in in AAU was boring and unspectacular, and now I am completely um, turned around on that. Uh, but the, his physical problem is is a bit unusual, I would say, relative to to most guys because he is a a big strong guy, but he his movement is really weird. And I've talked about this with with Zach Milner early in the year when we were first watching him. How we really, really liked him. We liked him in, uh, intellectually. How, how he was making plays as a team defender. He flashes, um, even plays as as a creator. Where he'll run pick and roll, and he can deliver some nice passes. He he'll shoot like an elbow pull up. Actually, the the most recent game I watched, uh, I think it was Louisville. He he took a pull up three. Uh, and this is a guy who's who's six nine and a really quite dominant team defender and insanely young who is you know trying pull up threes. That's exciting in 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 this class especially. But his movement is bizarre. It's it's hard to even explain beyond being clunky. And uh, our our genius friend Polar uh says that he thinks that it's traced to a muscle imbalance where he and you can you can see this pretty clearly that his his quads are incredibly developed and then his calves are incredibly underdeveloped um and it, it leads to just weird change of direction it leads to frankly scary plants where his, his lower his lower leg will be planted and his upper his upper leg will be moving and and you're getting a lot of like, internal rotation on that knee which is very scary from an injury standpoint Um, But if you're a team that thinks that you can really work with his lower body and fix that and make him a more mobile player, because right now I'm very in on Patrick Williams as a lottery pick, even with these mobility concerns, basically being defensively a straight four, just because I I love his defensive impact. And I I think I do buy him as a spot up shooter at the very least. Um, But if you're a team that thinks you can turn him into a more mobile player, he gets to be a very exciting proposition.
1: Right, and I do also buy him as a lottery guy in his current state like you do without projecting that development because there are some people who are very concerned about his about his foot speed as for his defensive projection. I think both of us are concerned but less concerned because of how great he is as a team defender. And he has the recovery tools, um, just the IQ and the length and the vertical pop to kind of make up for that make up for getting burned at times on the perimeter i think like you said in that same louisville game there's a play where i think it was david johnson blew by him and like the the, the slow hip turn was obvious but he but he jumped off of one and spiked the shot off the backboard and that's a thing that patrick williams is going to be able to do i mean he's going to be a good interior defender like he's he's pretty huge for even a four, like for a wing even a four he's gonna he's gonna make good rotations and get blocks. he's got like almost a six block percenters this this year I mean, he's a legitimately good rim protector at his size and I think both of us um, both understand how valuable team defense is and value it more than on-ball defense positionally. And so Patrick Williams as a defender is a guy who I'm pretty enticed with, t- enticed for without the without the um, without the uh, the movement. I mean, he has functional strength down, which I think is probably going to be more difficult to develop than a muscle imbalance because you can isolate develop the calf muscle. I mean, I, I'm no biomechanic, and I have very little in-depth knowledge of how this works but if the team is confident in their strength and conditioning this seems like a more fixable issue than a guy like lamello who's just incompetent everywhere and like i said for the offense i think it's pretty it's hard to not buy his shot i mean he's shooting 84 percent from the line i mean that's kind of that's pretty great even if the the, the three-point volume is not there and he's comfortable taking pull-ups at like the the youngest American player in the draft, seems pretty likely that he's going to shoot relatively soon in his career. And like I said, a guy with the shooting, the ancillaries, the ancillary skills, and this team defensive potential at his size and age, like that's a lottery pick and maybe even more. So,
0: yeah, I've I've got him on the. I might have him tenth. I've got him on the fringe of the top ten at the very least. I need to do some um, stuff.
1: He Might be there too for me.
0: Yeah, I I just love watching him play. Um, And I think that a concern that some people have is that he's this one position four. But that doesn't really bother me because I think that he can be high impact in that role. I think that, like, I think he really is a dominant team defender, although something worth considering there is the context of playing at FSU and how it might be a case where he's not actually that level of basketball intellect, uh, especially, like, consider that his teammate, Devin Vassell is, I think we, we would agree the best team defender in the class. And so it starts to look, and and I mean, this is not a new thing for FSU producing these really strong team defenders. So I think it's worth considering that perhaps Leonard Hamilton is, is really maximizing these guys in a way that won't translate, but it's, it's tough to know then if that, if this is now just a, a learned skill that, that, um, Patrick Williams has. I think that he's a pretty intelligent guy. He shows off, you know, instinctual moments. Uh, and like you mentioned, really dominant interior defender and for a young guy, incredibly skilled there. Like he, he gets vertical. Um, and really like, I think like angles guys off well. So I, I adore Patrick Williams. And I think that if, I think he's a very good prospect without this physical, uh, issue being addressed. And it is a very, very, very interesting prospect if he can figure it out. But, um, Oh go ahead, go ahead. Yep,
1: that was going to add to the Florida State team defense point. I mean, they're they're always loaded with team, def- team defenders, even like like Raekwon Gray and Trent Forrest are both pretty great there. So it's just going to be interesting to see how much Leonard Hamilton and even next year like they're going to have Scotty Barnes. So like that's going to be unbelievable to watch. So tracking that is going to be important, not only for Patrick Williams, Devin Vassell, we're looking at the future guys to go to Florida State and really analyzing maybe their past tape. Because like we said, Patrick Williams was kind of boring in AAU. So is that a red flag? I don't think it's going to be too concerned about. But if he ends up in the NBA not being the team defender we think he is, it's going to be something to look at in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, just uh, as an aside, I'm not worried about uh, Scotty. Like, if Scotty's a dominant team defender there, I'll buy it because Scotty is a dominant team defender already. General, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we have that prior information with him. But, yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see with Vassal. And, and part of that, it will be hard to evaluate because, you know, maybe they end up somewhere where uh, – probably less in Pat's case, but in Vassal's case where a, a wing slash guard like him is less enabled to – take the risks that he takes at FSU and maybe he'll look more muted. I mean, I think we've seen that with Zion to an extent where, uh, you know, he was this crazy defensive playmaker in college and he's in a more constrained role now. And I don't think that that, uh, those instincts are gone now. They're just muted by his role. So I don't want to overreact too much, but yeah, I mean, if Vassal and Pat are both really seem to no longer be like greatly diminished, team defenders then i'll be concerned but uh i mean look like john isaac is the is the only other like huge prospect to come out of fsu and before he got injured he was probably the defensive player of the year um so I'm, i'm not too concerned about that i think it's a worthwhile point and something worth considering and generally worth considering what um college programs are good at at teaching guys to do and it's something worth monitoring for sure uh especially with like i don't know like uh Texas tech seems to keep producing these like wingy guys who can't really shoot yet, find a way to be very good college players. And it hasn't worked out so well with, with Zaire Smith and Jarrett Culver yet. So, I mean, we'll see, you know, that could be very relevant for like Terrence Shannon or, um, you know uh, so I think it's, it's something worth considering just what college programs are good at teaching guys to do in conjunction with the thing that we were mentioning earlier about considering what your team is good at developmentally when you're pick, when you're you know assembling your your board and and actually making selections uh should we talk on the on the notion of context about competition level yeah, or we'll, quickly,
1: a- yeah we'll quickly mention it and i think the big guy here is james wiseman who is super split obviously many on draft twitter are totally out somewhere in the middle mainstream likes him quite a bit and competition level is a thing because i mean he, he's played three games of college basketball and that's obviously not his own fault but he we haven't seen him in high leverage competition really outside of one game against oregon which is not enough to build an opinion on but just basing basing off uh, what we know from his high school and AAU tape he was he was he had moments of domination with just his sheer size but he wasn't as dominant as he's projected to be i mean offensively his decision making is not good and he's not as skilled as he may have to be and defensively he's just so incredibly jumpy on defense technically he's not great he moves slow in pick and roll defense so he's a guy that without the certainty of high competition it's just really difficult to bet on him excelling in the NBA I mean he's young and has time to develop but it's difficult to buy him as a high level prospect without any sort of really high leverage tape on him being dominant so
0: yeah, I mean I feel like there's so many things that we could have picked out as a swing skill for James Wiseman. Oh. Um so yeah, I mean co- the competition level that he dominated for for really for two games cuz he honestly was not very good in that Oregon game. Like I think the final stat line looked okay, but he like he was not good in that game. Yeah. Um and then the two teams that he did dominate were like fringe D1 teams. Uh and then in 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 high school he would get beaten badly when he played against other top centers like he had really bad showings against i think isaiah stort against oscar shibwe like it was he had a really bad track record of going up against uh sort of nba level bigs uh and that's really concerning um and you mentioned the movement i mean his short area movement i think could be picked out as as like one of the biggest swing skills in the class because if if that is a thing that's viable then he could be a really high level defender but i don't buy his short area movement at all like he no. he can't turn his hips he can't he can't slide like he covers large distances incredibly well like he's very fast in a straight line but um yeah the short area movement is is a huge swing skill i mean the shot i think is a, is a swing skill for him but in those 3 games he did play a lot stronger than he did in, in a lot bigger and stronger than he did in high school and maintaining that is a huge swing uh, skill for him. So, I mean, he's a really, really tough eval. I, he's definitely someone I'm going to go back and watch a bunch of EYBL on. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I just like throw my hands up in the air at James Wiseman. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be the team drafting him. I'll just
1: throw him in the mid-20s and say good luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should we should we talk a little about Grant Riller we also? We quickly mention him. So, Grant Riller, just this special scoring prospect with just the most incredible burst and driving technique and pull up game handle even some great vision but the question is the caa is just so bad defensively but i just it's not as big of a concern for me because i mean even against better teams defensively like vcu against against oklahoma state he the burst didn't disappear i mean that those incredible rim flashes weren't gone but i think like i'm not sure how much to consider it for grant really what do you I, i struggle with that i don't think it's that big of a deal but i'm interested to hear what you think
0: yeah, I struggle with it too. I think the burst is is real. It's um it's so overwhelming. Uh he's just is, is like a remarkable athlete. Uh I think maybe the finishing won't be as potent as it is cuz I mean, Grant Riller last year, this year he took a bit of a dip, but like the last two years had been like a 62% on twos overall. Uh and these are like all self-created and he takes pull-up uh twos as well. He's just like a really insanely absurdly dominant finisher like he he might be the best finisher in college basketball independent of position like he might just yeah like without accounting for for size or anything be the single best finisher in college basketball he is that freaky um but i think it's worth considering that he plays a very low level of competition uh where he can really dominate athletically and where yeah the defense is not good
1: I mean I, I will say against top hundred teams granted only seven games. He's shooting uh twenty three to thirty five at the rim, sixty six percent, and almost fifty six percent on two, so still pretty good, like considering his volume and usage. So I don't think it's this thing's incredible. I'm fairly optimistic on Miller just having high end outcomes as as this offensive stud. So but yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. should we get into um some guys who have popped for us recently
1: getting pretty long so we'll go through this um your first guy you want to go sure
0: uh i'll do scotty lewis first so i watched a couple florida games recently and man scotty lewis i don't know what (laughs) i don't know what to do with that guy defensively because he'll have these moments where he'll like get into a stance and his lateral movement is beautiful and then he rises up because he is a crazy vertical leaper and will just destroy a shot and, like, maybe kill a person. Um, but I he's the guy, the prospect I've seen back cut the most this year. Like, he doesn't – it's almost as if nothing but the ball exists, and he is just staring at it the entire time. Um, and then offensively, I forget which of the games it was in, but he did have, like, one nice possession where he attacked a closeout and had a, a solid kickout. It was Kentucky. Yeah, and and that was the thing I was hoping that we'd see from Scotty this year. Like, I was slightly optimistic because in high school, he was always such a mess offensively because he had the ball in his hands and he was dribbling around and taking impossible pull-ups and making terrible decisions. Uh, And I thought this Florida team would be really good and he would just be in a very, like, strictly complimentary role. And he hasn't really done that. He has still been jacking terrible shots and missing them and not fitting into a role. And he's just, like not all that compelling to me. I just don't think that he has it mentally. So he has all of these, these tool, like he can sort of shoot and he is a like truly crazy vertical leaper. Um, I think something that people are underappreciating is how weak he is. uh, Just generally as an aside on his, on his physical ability, but yeah, he's a guy that, that sounds so much better than he is because I think mentally he just doesn't have it. So he's dropped like pretty far for me. I'm not sure where you're at. I think I have him at like the in the mid second at this point, like firmly beyond I have behind. Him 49th. Yeah, that's about where I have him. I've got him like around 45, I think. Uh so like firmly behind his teammate, Keontae Johnson, for example. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Scotty, he is he's frustrating and confusing. And at I honestly time, want fun.
1: what? At the same time, he can be so much fun. Man.
0: Oh, he can be very entertaining. And I, like he does crazy stuff athletically, but I feel like he could honestly benefit from another year of college where it seems like his star has even fallen in the mainstream. Even though, like He was a guy that people were touting as a lottery pick coming into the year, which was always, I think, insane um, because he just didn't have any sort of creation ability like that. But if he can come back and really fit in as a complimentary guy, like he's now shown some flashes of. I, I would be kind of intrigued. But as it stands, I mean, I just don't think that this is a guy who's going to be a, a positive NBA player.
1: Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people make the case for him based on his shooting projection, which I didn't realize how good of a free throw shooter he was. He's shooting almost 86% this year at the line, which is quite good. Um, But we've talked about this before, but being an NBA wing requires more than spot-up shooting, and he just has none of those ancillary skills. He can't really dribble – He's a terrible decision-maker. He doesn't make difficult shots. He's not great at getting to the rim. And just being so debilitating offensively, it's hard to buy in. Even if he is, like, a pretty elite, elite athlete, he's one of the five best athletes in the class, surely. I mean, he just does some stupid things. I mean, like you said, I, I think... His intelligence on defense is probably overstated because he can just cover with tools. But, I mean, I don't have much to say outside of what you covered. I think he's pretty – not super inspiring to me just because of how bad offensively he is and his IQ limitations on defense. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a frustrating player. Uh, at times entertaining, but I think a guy that that I'm out on as, as really an impact player um, – which is disappointing because I think there was there was some chance that he would fit really nicely into a complimentary role, but I I just I don't think
1: he has it. All right, so I'll go on to my first guy, who is Tyshawn Alexander, who is not someone I really expected to talk about, but I threw on the Seton Hall uh, Creighton game mostly to watch um, his teammate uh, Zagorowski, I think, uh, point guard, and I I came away super impressed by Tyshawn Alexander, who's just this outlier elite um defensive foot speed guy i mean he he'd, he shut down miles powell pretty much all game chasing him around screens and miles powell is quite spectacular uh, uh, off ball mover crazy shot maker and he still made some ridiculous shots because that's what he does but tasha alexander was getting through his screens all game and you know there was one play where like powell had an insanely smart like re- Path change and he beat him, but generally, like even on the ball, he was stonewalling him despite being pretty weak. I mean, just having that crazy ability to to beat guys to their spots and mirror drives, and offensively, he was also a pretty impressive game. I mean, he's quite good as a shooter, eighty five percent. Um, has legit shot versatility, hit some tough pull ups. Uh, some shots off movement and just like he, he's a pretty good passer flash some some live dribble stuff and just as like an, a kind of fringy guy to watch I mean the strength is a huge question for him as is the burst on offense but a guy who's that special with his foot speed defensively and who has that like who has that uh skill set to be kind of ancillary offensive guy is someone I'm gonna watch going forward so.
0: yeah I've seen I think a little bit of one Creighton game so I have no input on him
1: all right, cool. So that was quick. Max, your next guy.
0: Um. Okay, yeah. My next guy was Arturs Koruks, brother of uh, Nets forward Rodions. He is a lot smaller. He's like a 6'3 combo guard. And uh, he's a lethal shooter, like off the dribble, off movement. Really like beautiful mechanics, great shooter. Uh, and then the question is, is he an undersized 2 or is he a, like a legitimate initiator? And if he's a legitimate initiator, he's a pretty interesting prospect. Um, and I have some hope that that may be the case that some of the past, so we both watched the uh, Latvia against Argentina um, FIBA game from this past summer and his passing in the game was pretty good. Like he was reading tags on the weak side and, and skipping the ball. He was delivering uh, like live dribble passes with his off with his off hand, uh, passing like overhead skips with two hands like like a lot of um versatility as a passer capitalizing on his on his really immense shooting gravity like coming off handoffs uh so i think that he was he was pretty interesting in that game a guy i want to watch a bit more of uh if he if he doesn't have the juice to be a uh primary ball handler he's probably not an nba guy but a combination of like really lethal shooting and possibly having the um the ability to be initiators is, is an interesting combination.
1: Yeah, and I I did watch a little bit of him last summer. I this was a good refresher, but I do remember him being a pretty impressive passer. I'm like you said, worried about his aptitude as a creator. He had one play in that game where he um like used a threat of his pull up like with a little head fake to fake the guy out, flashed a nice change of direction, and hit the corner. And like mm-hmm. like you said, his passing and just decision making in general was pretty awesome. But and, and he uses his size as well as a passer, combines it with his pull up shooting, off movement shooting. Like you said, I mean, the burst is quite an issue, as is the creation. Uh, but it, like if he's really that good of a passer and that good of a shooter, I mean, he's shooting this season, all leagues, uh, overseas play. He's shooting 40% from three on 5.67 attempts per game. Um, like high 70s free throw shooting. That's pretty good. That's quite good for a guy his size and his age. So definitely going to be an interesting offensive, offensive, uh, initiator, upside y kind of swing prospect to. track probably not someone who's going to enter the draft this year i'd say unless he gets significant traction which he hasn't uh so he's going to be a guy we're going to see develop over the next year's overseas and in the future could definitely be a guy to monitor and look at Mm
0: -hmm. uh do you want to do one or should i do my last one
1: uh you can do your last one because yeah
0: okay um my last guy we are called the prep to pro uh nba draft podcast i'd like to emphasize that so i am going to mention a high school player uh, Coleman Hawkins is a 6'9 forward who plays for prolific prep. Uh, if you, if you know, prolific prep, you know it because that's where Jalen green plays one of the, the more famous, uh, players in all of, of, uh, high school basketball, but Coleman Hawkins is, is really good. Uh, he is an Illinois commit. Uh, he's got really beautiful mechanics on his jumper. It's just like super compact and smooth. Uh, he's got really deep range. He can handle the ball a bit. Uh, He's an interesting finisher. He's got like some flexibility where like sort of contort around contests. And then he's really, he just like spins the ball home all the time. Uh, And he's got some passing vision. He can really see over the defense nicely. Um, Probably not going to be a one and done at Illinois, but uh, a multi-year guy who I think will be really good. uh, And just, he's, I think he's not even a top 150 guy uh, on most recruiting services and is like totally a legitimate prospect. I, I find him very fun to watch. Uh, and a guy to monitor over the next, like, two or three
1: years. Yeah, I have no Coleman Hawkins takes. Did not know his name before seeing him on Max's Twitter. And I'm, I'm insane, but not as insane, but not as insane as Max. I will say that Illinois is going to be really fun for the next year or two. They have um, Andre Corbello as well, who's pretty legit, too. Uh, Kofi Coburn is probably going to be there next year, too. I don't know about if Io is going to declare. Um, they're going to be a fun team to watch next year. And, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll see more of Coleman Hawkins coming up. I'll, I'll definitely get to at least by this summer. So yeah, um, that was episode three of the Preps Pro NBA Draft Podcast. We are on all streaming platforms now. Um, so go check us out there, wherever is at your utmost convenience. Um, give us five stars, leave nice reviews, download, subscribe, all that. Follow uh, the podcast on Twitter. Uh, prep That's prep number two pro pod. You can follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore, and you can follow Max at Max A Carlin. So anything else you want to add Max before we head out today? yeah
0: uh everyone, be safe out there and uh yeah, hopefully we'll
1: have some basketball back soon. Yeah, um so be safe enjoy enjoy your weekend and see you later.